Brian McClanahan Show, episode 397. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. 10 Myths of American History, and of course, you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You get great coupons, a lot of great stuff if you're a subscriber. Free to enroll, mclanahanacademy.com. You get that free class, and then you get good stuff after that. It's a way to support the show. You purchase one of my classes there. I've got a lot of classes, a lot of great stuff, and that helps support this show. You can also go to brianmclanahan.com, click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You get a book plate. If you want my autograph on one of my books, and I've got a lot of those, my latest is Southern Scribblings. It's a great book. Uh, I am working on some others this year, so you're going to see some more Brian McClanahan books, but if you want my autograph, get that book plate. Also, click on that shop tab. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, another great educational website where I teach with Tom and Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, a lot of great people. So you want to get on that website as well. Lots of great ways to support the show. But the best way, of course, is to get people listening to the show. So share it around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally because that's how we turn this big mess around. And I think that there's no other way to do it. It's become clear you can't drain the swamp. The swamp is always going to maintain itself. And so the only way to do anything is to bring everything home. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, I alluded to the topic of this podcast in yesterday's episode, and I was going to talk about the 1776 Project. I am going to talk about that, but I'm going to do it in a way that's not going to go in and directly criticize the project. The one thing I will say about the project, I'm, I'm surprised the left has so much hatred for this thing and that Joe Biden just immediately scrubbed it from the uh, from the executive branch, primarily because if you look at the project, I mean, they quote Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King Jr. This thing is no, by no means conservative. And when I say that, I mean, it might have been written by a 1960s radical. In fact, when you look at the neoconservatives, that's what they are. They're new conservatives who still believe in the same social agenda as, uh, say, a 1960s radical would or an 1860s radical. I think that's an important distinction to make. It's not that some of these things are wrong, that uh, you say, you know, you don't want to have discrimination uh, when you have, uh, you don't want to have mandatory discrimination. In other words, you don't want to have the state telling you can and can't do this. People can do this. People can't do that. I mean, these are things that are, that are inherently wrong. Uh, but when you look at the, the enemies and the heroes in this particular project, the enemy is John C. Calhoun. The heroes are, again, King and Douglas and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. 
I'm surprised the left really had a problem with this. The reason they had a problem with it, though, is because it didn't push a, a, a narrative of America that they're now agreeing with. They've gone even further left on what America is. And this comes down to a conflict over American identity. And so I want to actually talk more about that today than anything else. It comes down to what is America? This is really what it's all about. And if you go back and you look at the 18... We're just going to start here with, with a look at political platforms. And I want to do this because I think it highlights one of the main issues that we're facing today. In 1856, you had the first Republican candidate for president, John C. Fremont. Free soil, free labor, free men. Fremont and victory. Free speech, Fremont and victory, right? And you had the Democrats in 1856. The 1852 Democrat Party uh, platform was almost identical to the 1856 Democrat Party platform at the beginning of the platform. And I want to focus on one major difference in these two platforms. So I'm going to start with the Democrats. This platform was ratified on June 2nd, 1856. A couple of resolutions from the beginning. Resolved that the American democracy placed their trust in their intelligence, in the intelligence, the patriotism, and the discriminating justice of the American people. The discriminating justice of the American people. That we regard this as a distinctive feature of our political creed, which we are proud to maintain before the world as the great moral element in a form of government springing from and upheld by the popular will. And we contrast it with the creed and practice of federalism under whatever name or form, which seeks to palsy the will of the constituent and which conceives no imposture too monstrous for the popular credulity. Therefore, that entertaining these views, the Democrat Party of this union, through their delegates assembled in general convention, coming together in a spirit, etc., etc., they have presented their candidates with the pop- for the popular suffrage. And if you look at what they want, this pretty much says it all for what the Democrats wanted, that the federal government is one of limited power, derived solely from the Constitution, the grants of power made therein ought to be strictly construed by all the departments and agents of the government, and that this is an, ex- an, an expedient and dangerous to exercise doubtful constitutional powers. It is ex- inexpedient and dangerous to exercise doubtful constitutional powers. Where is that? I mean, you, run, you see Dinesh D'Souza and others running around, the Democrats, where is this wrong? The Republicans don't say that. Republicans wouldn't say that, because the Republicans never really have been conservative. That the Constitution does not confer upon the general government the power to, co- to com- commence and carry on a general system of internal improvements. The Republicans wouldn't say that because they believed in these things. You look at their platform, they're talking about railroads and federally funded internal improvements. That the Constitution does not confer authority upon, upon the federal government, directly or indirectly, to assume the debts of the several states contracted for local and internal improvements or other state purposes, nor would such an assumption be just or expedient. That justice and sound policy forbid the federal government to foster one branch of industry to the detriment of any other. (laughs) That every citizen in every section of the country has a right to demand and insist upon an equality of rights and privileges and to complete and ample protection of persons and property from domestic violence or foreign aggression. That is the duty of every branch of the government to enforce and practice the most rigid economy in conducting the public affairs, etc., etc. This is a very conservative platform. But yet, 
This is not what passes for conservatism today. Why? Because conservatism today is based on 1860s radicalism. And let me explain where. Republican Party platform, June 18, 1856. Resolved that the maintenance of the principles promulgated in the Declaration of Independence and embodied in the federal constitution are essential to the preservation of Republican institutions that the federal constitution, the rights of the states, and the union of the states must and shall be preserved. That with our Republican fathers, we hold it to be self-evident truth that all men are endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that the primary object and ulterior design of the federal government were, were to secure these rights to all persons under its exclusive jurisdiction. So you look at, and of course, then they make a statement about slavery. And they're talking about the territories here. They don't look at the states. They're talking about the territories. But what's important about this, and I've, and I've got a whole episode on why slavery was important, and it was because of the territories. And it's clear in the platforms. You look at these two documents and you see this Republican Party platform of 1856 is what the 1776 project, the president's advisory, is based on. This by no means was conservative. No one saw it as conservative. No one considered it to be conservative in 1856. Conservatives were not part of the Republican Party. None of them were. But somehow this passes for conservatism. And so what, what this created was this idea of a proposition nation. The Republicans are establishing what's known as a proposition nation here. And that proposition nation has been carried forward by both parties, essentially, for the last 150 plus years. We don't have a conservative opposition anymore. There's nothing, I mean, the Republicans, see, the Republicans never believe in the things the Democrats were talking about in 1856. If you go down the list, they want federally funded internal improvements. They want all kinds of things. Now, the Democrats were more imperialistic in 1856 than the Republicans, but the Republicans, as soon as they got in power, did their job. So, when you look at these two groups, and you look at what this means, and I'm going to carry this forward now, the 1776 Project and the 1619 Project, which the 1776 Project is intended to refute, look at America the exact same way. There is a marginal difference between the two. One is not conservative and one is not liberal. They're both, quote-unquote, liberal or leftist. They both are. But they have a different version of how far left you want to go. And more importantly, they have a different version of the identity, the idea of America. They both believe in the same idea. And that idea is the proposition nation. If you go back and read the introductory essay of the 1619 Project, by Nicole Hannah-Jones. She says her father was pure, I mean, he's American at the core. He flew the U.S. flag. He believed in the proposition nation. He believed in it because, you see, he was a 1960s kind of leftist. She, on the other hand, is a 2020 kind of leftist. And the major distinction is this. According to a 1960s leftist, the proposition nation was at the core American, and in that, America was inherently good. It's just some bad people made it bad at times. But the idea of America was good. Nicole Hannah-Jones, it's not that 
the idea of America was good because the idea of America, I mean, you have this, you have this belief that there is something there to it. And she'll say things like African-Americans, black people made America what it is. But more importantly, the idea of America was bad because America is inherently racist. The 1776 Project, America is inherently colorblind. The 1619 Project, America is inherently racist. This is what they're arguing over. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to nothing else. If you go back and look at it, I mean, all these other issues, which of course the Republican Party gets into, the Democrat Party, get, all those core issues in 1856, the Democrats listed at the top, all that stuff is pushed down, suppressed by, the, by social issues, race, class, gender. But those are the most important issues in reality. The other stuff... The other stuff gets into this identity of America, which isn't really as important, to be frank. Because America is not that. And you, where all this comes from, really, is this one-people mentality of America. And I think the 1619 Project is conflicted in this. All the leftists are conflicted in this. They want to have this idea of an American people. The people of America have spoken. Joe Biden won because 51% of the American people voted for Joe Biden. So that's a mandate. It's not. Everybody knows it. Even Joe Biden knows it. There's no mandate there. There's nothing. They want to have an American people, but yet they want to have, quote-unquote, diversity. What they really want is their vision of the American people to be triumphant over another vision of American people. They want a different kind of history to supplant an older history. They want their version of the American identity, of the American ideal, of the proposition nation to supplant the older 1960s version of the proposition nation. This is what this is really all about. It's about nothing else. But it all comes down to this fundamental problem of what is an America, what is America and what is an American. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes because I think that's really important. As I push this idea of thinking locally and acting locally, what does it actually mean at its core? It's not just about government and going out and getting involved in your city council or your county council. It's not about that at all, really, at the end of the day. It goes back to something deeper than that that you found in America in the colonial period, going all, let's go all the way back to the French and Indian War in America. In the very first political cartoon ever written on American soil. This is by Benjamin Franklin. And there was an attempt in the 1750s to join America together in a union. And Benjamin Franklin actually proposed a union at the Albany Congress, the Albany Plan of Union in Albany, New York. And he wrote this cartoon. It has a snake, and it's all chopped up. Join or die. You've probably seen this before in all the different colonies. And Franklin at that point said that America cannot be unified because essentially people are too provincial. They think of themselves not as Americans, but as New Yorkers or New Englanders or South Carolinians or Georgians, whatever it was. This is Virginians. This is how they thought of themselves. Because in reality at that point, and in reality even today, that is what America is. All this other stuff, this very brief period of time we had after World War II, and I've done an episode on how World War II screwed up America. World War II created this idea of an American nation. We, we were common cause against 
the Japanese and the Germans in World War II. Didn't matter where you were. And then we had a little bit of that in, in 2001. A little bit of it. See, this is the thing. When the World Trade Centers were attacked in 2001, we didn't care who those people were, where they were from in those buildings. We cared who they were. We didn't care where they were from. They were Americans. They represented all of us because we did know that people worked in those buildings who weren't just from New York. And I found out, um, just as a side person, and I found out uh, this, this last year that I knew somebody in the World Trade Center that died in the World Trade Center. I didn't know that, but I did. I went to elementary school with him, and um, I moved away and went to a different school. But he was a friend of mine in elementary school. And I found out that he was actually on the exact floor. He was an international trader. Um, he was you know, early 20s. He was on the exact floor that was hit by the first plane into the building. So he was, on the, he was in a direct hit from the plane. So I have a personal connection to something that happened there, and I didn't know that until this past year. So we all looked at that and said, my gosh, this is horrible. Even if we didn't know those people, this is horrible. So that created kind of this Americanism. World War II did the exact same thing. It didn't matter who was on those ships at Pearl Harbor, where they were from. We just saw them as Americans, and we had to do something about it. And this creates this kind of rah-rah nationalism that we get. But the fact is, that's, a, that's a, 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 in some ways a false notion of America. We get tied up into that and we think of this stuff. But in reality, what we think of America is where we live. And if you look at some of the American propaganda songs that have been written in the 19, 1900s, the 20th century, for example, God Bless America, which now, I mean, right after September 11th, it's really interesting. That song was written in 1918 by Irving Berlin. He wrote it when he was in the Army for World War I. Didn't publish it then, but published it later. Uh, Irving Berlin was from Russia. This is important. You think about this Hamilton musical. Where was, Ham- was Hamilton from any colony in America? No. He arrived late. He arrived as a teenager. And he became an American, not a New Yorker, not a Virginian. You look at Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson was a Virginian. You see, George Clinton was a New Yorker. John Hancock was a Massachusetts, you know, a Bay Stater. Sam Adams, John Adams, they were from Massachusetts. That's that's that was America to them. It wasn't this nation. America was where they lived. But to Hamilton, who never really was from anywhere in the colonies. That was America. You think about Irving Berlin, it was the exact same thing. He wasn't a, a, a New Yorker or... No, he was an American. And you look at, think about the lyrics of God Bless America. You look at how that, you know, God Bless America, land that I love. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans, white with foam. All of that. God bless America, my home sweet home. All of that is mine. That's my home. You ask most Americans, though, and that's not their home. Their home is where they're residing. Their home is their state. Their home is their community, their hometown. That's what America is. But not to Irving Berlin and not to Woody Guthrie either. 
This land is your land, right? He writes this, this land is your land, right? From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you. And all of that, all of this is mine. All of this is ours. California, that whole thing, this is our, this land is your land, this land is my land. It's, it's a different kind of identity with America. And you see that both the 1776 Project and the 1619 Project have this. I'm often, when I, when I read these things, I'm reminded of a quote by uh, John Taylor of Caroline. He said this, there are many states in America, but no state of America, nor any people of an American state. A constitution for America or Americans would therefore have been similar to a constitution for utopia or utopians. You see, John Taylor of Caroline from Virginia recognized what America was. It was Virginia to John Taylor of Caroline. That's all that mattered. You see, the whole core of thinking locally and acting locally, you go back to the 1856 Democrat Party platform. The whole core of thinking locally and acting locally gets down to this idea of real federalism. Now, I know that the Democrats said the creed and practice of federalism, but that's, they're talking about federalism with a capital F, not a lowercase f, of federalism, the Federalist Party, which they thought of as the Whig Party, the Republican Party, the nationalists, see, what they're getting at is nationalism. They're hammering this. That because of that, when you look at the things that that creates, whether it's a national bank, whether it's internal improvements, whether it's federal subsidies for states, whether it's promotion of industry, commerce, finance, any of that, all of that is alien to America because... America is actually the local. America is where you live. This is what most people think. They think, oh, America is my little hometown. And all America is like this. Or maybe if you live in a bad part of a, 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 you know, an inner city. Well, that's America. To me, this is America. This is what America is. And so you get this idea, this is America... And so you want, you think the rest of America is like that. And if it's not like that, you, you despise those people or you, you pity those people, whatever the case may be. And so you vote based on your conception of America. When in reality, what America is, is where you're sitting right now. And if you just change that, America would be different. Because America is not... This land is my land. This land is your land. America is your land, where you're sitting. So at its core, thinking locally and acting locally is this belief, this idea that you have to change where you are first to make anything else better. That has to change. And it's not going to happen from Washington, D.C. They can actually make things worse, but they're never really going to make it better because it's too big and too unwieldy and it just can't happen. They're never going to make it better. Oh, sure, they might give you some money. They might give you some benefits. Those things might happen. I mean, so you could say, well, my life is improved by a general government that bestows 
finances, you know, financial windfalls on my family. Certainly, they can give you a job. You could get those things out of the general government. And so if you're on the dole, then the general government can make things better. But for most Americans, the only thing the general government is going to do is take from you. They're going to take taxes from you, and they're, you're not going to see any tangible benefits from it. You can say, well, you're protected by the general government. You could say that. But do we really feel that on a regular basis? I'm reminded when I think of this, you know, what do most people get from it? A play that I was actually in in, in high school entitled You Can't Take It With You, and I played a character named Grandpa. <laughs> and it was such a great character and such a great play. Uh, and there's this exchange that the Grandpa has with a tax collector, a G-man, comes to the house. And uh, he says uh, his, his lines, and I pulled up some of the lines. He says, now, Mr. Vanderhoff, you've written your, we've written you several letters about this, but have not yet had a reply. And Grandpa says, oh, that's what the le- these letters were. And um, the G-man says, according to our records, Mr. Handoff, M- Mr. Vanderhoff, you have never paid an income tax. That's right. Why not? Grandpa, I don't believe in it. Well, you own property, don't you? Yes, sir. And you receive a yearly income from it, I do, of uh, between three and four thousand dollars. About that, you've been receiving it for years. I have 1901, if you want the exact date. And the G-man says, "Well, the government is only concerned from 1914 on. That's when the income tax started." Well, well, it seems, Mr. Vanderhoff, that you owe the government 24 years back income tax. So then, <laughs> Grandpa says, uh, "Now, look, Mr. Henderson, let me ask you something." Suppose I pay you this money, mind you. I don't say I'm going to pay it, but just for the sake of argument, what's the government going to do with it? The G-man says, what do you mean? He says, well, what do I get for my money? If I go into Macy's and buy something, there it is. I see it. What's the government giving me? The G-man says, why, the government gives you everything. It protects you. Grandpa says, what from? From, well, invasion. Foreigners that might come over here and take everything you've got. I don't think they're going to do that. If you don't pay your income tax, they would. How do you think the government keeps up the Army and Navy, all those battleships? And Grandpa says, last time we used battleships was in the Spanish-American War. And what did we get out of it? Cuba. And we gave that back anyway. I wouldn't mind paying if it were something sensible. The G-Man says, sensible? Well, what about Congress and the Supreme Court and the President? We've got to pay them, don't we, Grandpa? Not with my money, no, sir. Now, wait a minute. I'm not here to argue with you. All I know is that you haven't paid an income tax and you've got to pay it. They've got to show me. We don't have to show you. I just told you. All those buildings down in Washington and interstate commerce and the Constitution. And Grandpa says, the Constitution was paid for long ago. And interstate commerce, what is interstate commerce? There are 48 states, see? And if there weren't interstate commerce, nothing would go from one state to another, see? Why not? They got fences? No, they haven't got fences. They've got laws. My God, I've never come across anyone like this before. Well, I might pay about $75, but that's all it's worth. You'll pay every cent of it, like everyone else. And let me tell you something else. You go to jail if you don't pay. You hear that? It's the law. This is, this is a wonderful speech. A wonderful part of this particular play. Because Grandpa's saying, what do I get out of this money? So most people want, ask this question every single day as they write their check to the IRS or they have the money withheld and they, they disappears from their check, whatever it is, however they're paying their taxes. They think these things. What I mean, what's it really worth? And you've got the government saying, 
We got the Constitution. See, this is the problem. If it's private property, it doesn't matter anymore. But that's really what America is. It's your store. It's your house. It's your little community that you live in, whether you're in a small town, a, a, a large city, a, uh, a neighborhood, a suburb, whatever it is, that's America to you. It's where your kids go to school or if they homeschool or it's where it's where they, they participate in activities or whatever you do with your family. That's really America. America is not an ideal. It's the concrete, tangible things that you see around you on an everyday basis. And where that comes from, of course, is culture why political culture matters and why the culture of an area matters. And while someone like Irvin Berlin, who came from Russia, who never had any of that except Russian, he got to America and it's something else. You find this with people from all over the world as they get to America. America becomes an ideal. This is the major problem with it. There's nothing tangible to it. America is simply an ideal. It's not a tangible thing. It's not the people that were there for generations. This is why when you hear, uh, you know, leftists or even neoconservatives want to take down Confederate monuments or any monument. I just saw today in uh, California, in San Francisco, they're taking down every single name from every single person off of every single school. If you're going to, I mean, you might as well just do that. If you're going to take down one, take them all down. I mean, everything is getting taken down because America is just an ideal. It's not people. It's not heroes. It's not anything. It's just an ideal. And this is what, again, the core of the 1776 project and the 1619 project is what they have in common. One's an ideal of good, one's an ideal of evil, and that's all that matters. But as John Taylor of Caroline said, there, is, there, aren't, there isn't an American people. It doesn't exist. It never has existed. We can't have an American people. You have people of a region. If you look at the old definition of a people... These are people of similar ethnic, racial, religious backgrounds. This is a culture. A people is a culture. And we know there's not one people in America. There can't be. There were founders and members of the founding generation who wanted that. James Wilson of Pennsylvania, Alexander Hamilton of New York. They were looking at these things this way. Of course, both men are not from a colony. They're both foreigners. Wilson from Scotland, Hamilton from the Caribbean. That's important. And you had very few men who came over from somewhere else who really became provincial in their outlook. They were always nationalists. Almost always nationalists. There's some that I could say weren't. Once you got a generation or two in, Virginia was their home. Pennsylvania was their home. Massachusetts was their home. New York was their home. That's all that mattered. Because that really was America. It's where they lived. It's what they were. But more importantly, if you ask them where they're from, they're from that state. And by default, then they're from the United States. But they weren't an American. They were a New Yorker, which meant they were something else. Or they were a South Carolinian. Or they were a Pennsylvanian. They were a Virginian. That's what really mattered. That political culture. That local mattered. So this is the major defect of all of these projects. Every single one of them, because they're all thinking of a unified American people under one direction or another. In reality, that just doesn't work, and most people don't think of America that particular way. We have to be taught that. The Pledge of Allegiance, this land is your land, God bless America, all of these things that we get that try to create this fabricated American nationalism, which for most people that's just not there. I don't really care what happens in California because I don't live there. 
or Massachusetts or Montana or Florida even or Texas or Virginia. It's sad when things happen there that you know happen to people that but they have a ability to control their own political culture. And those things matter. And if you don't like it, leave. But don't bring your political culture somewhere else. Fix your own backyard first. And then work out. And I hope that throughout this podcast and through everything I've done with this Think Locally, Act Locally, that's really what I'm trying to get at. Fix your backyard first. And don't worry about everything else. Because you can, I mean, they can pass laws in D.C. Do they always have to be enforced in your backyard? So all this has to happen. I mean, if you had a political culture that rejected those things, then they wouldn't be. That's the important takeaway from all of this. All right. You can't take it with you, remember. And not just that. I love that line from that particular play. And it was a lot of fun to do that play when I was much, much younger. And uh, But, I mean, it was just so much, I mean, I think back on that now, and I think to those lines, I, th- I remember them fondly, you know, it, <laughs> I'm not going to pay you any taxes, you know, what's the government going to do with my money? Well, I'll give you this much, maybe $75, but not thousands, right? Pretty funny. Okay, I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.